Well, I'll start uh, by summing up some of the things we've talked about since we've been here. We've been talking about uh, the Holy Spirit, and today we're talking, in a sense, about what life in the Spirit looks like. But I have to go back a bit, because there's some people who weren't here all along. Well, about half of you, so... We're just gonna, I'm just going to repeat everything I've set up till now. It could take an hour or so, and then we'll start something new. Um, you were made for an intimate relationship with God. You were made to be close to Him, to be one with Him, and uh, you were made actually to even be inhabited by His Holy Spirit, to live in that place. And in one sense, every person in this world has kind of this feeling in their heart and their mind that there's something missing until they come to know Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. You understand? People, they don't know what they're searching for and there's lots of things that are put forward as the answer. This is where you'll get life, get lots of money, get lots of experiences, get lots of holidays, retire early, get a caravan and drive around Australia in circles. Whatever it is, there are lots of answers given as to how you might receive that thing that you think is missing. And what we've been saying is that you are made for God. You are made to have the Holy Spirit living in you so that you have an intimate relationship with God. That's what you're made for. And what a wonderful thing it is when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ because what Jesus has done is... The reason that we're not in an intimate relationship with God is basically because we've said to God, we don't want to be in an intimate relationship with you. We want to go the other way. We've sinned against him. We have uh, offended him. We've rebelled against the one who made us. And so we are separated from him. And what he has done in his love and grace has sent his only son to die to take the punishment for our sin to restore us to him so that we can again receive the Holy Spirit and that we can know God and that we can live in a a wonderful relationship with him forever. Forever is like, you know, a hundred years times a million and a bit more. Okay. That's what we long for. There's a hole that can only be filled by knowing our great and wonderful God. Okay. So we've talked about uh, just the great gifts that the Holy Spirit brings to us. Um, if, you want to, if, you, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus before, you can stop right there and just say, well, what Derek said is probably a, a big point to take on right now. Is this the day that I actually put my faith in Jesus Christ and be saved and, uh, and, and find what I need most in this world? Then for us Christians, well, uh, who listen to talks about the Holy Spirit and then go and sit around the fire last night and talk, we had lots of conversations and I wanted to talk about one aspect of a question that was asked uh, by a number of people last night. And that is, why does my life not feel like the spiritual life which I would think that being filled with the Holy Spirit should look like? If I was filled with the Holy Spirit, wouldn't that mean that I live a life where, well, I might sin, but I get much less in sin. I'm continuously healed. Uh, I'm always happy. Um, uh, And uh, basically, it's a life of victory. And I never have any anxiety, never have any worries, definitely don't have any mental health issues. 
So basically, that's what the spiritual life should look like, right? Which basically sums up everyone whose life here is a Christian. Is that right? I say with a cold <laughs> and glasses. Uh, yeah, like I haven't been all healed is what I'm saying. Uh, I say uh, as a man who has plenty of worries and concerns and anxieties and someone who has more sin than most of you. So what does this victory look like? Especially in light of the fact that uh, the passages we've been looking at, John 14, 15 and 16, finish with, with Jesus saying, in this world you will have trouble. Not in this world you will have heaven and bliss. Right, so what is it about the spirit-filled life? How does that work for us in our reality? Now, we're going to look at uh, a bit of Romans chapter 6, 7 and 8. You can go home, that's your required reading. Go home and read those books, Romans 6, 7, 8, those chapters. Because if I say to you that we live the Christian life with these things still going on, You might be like some people who say, no, Romans 6 says the Christian life is a life of victory. When we're in Christ, it says there we have victory over sin, so we don't sin anymore. Okay, so maybe maybe there's just something wrong with Derek and his sin and and the rest of you have got it together. There's only one problem with that, because Romans 6 also has this statement in it. I'll, I'll read it to you properly. It says this. After saying uh, we have uh, this victory, we are no longer slaves to sin, it says this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, so that you do not obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Rather, offer yourselves to God. Right. So is that... Why would you have... You have victory over sin, you're no longer slaves to sin, you're never going to sin again. And then he says, by the way, don't sin, because he knows you're going to. Do you get it? Because the description of the Christian life is this. It is a war, or a battle, or a conflict. The Bible uses all those words. That's what it's like. In fact, before you're a Christian, I know before I was a Christian... My only battle was, how can I get the sin that other people have got? Because I want more sin because I'm loving it. Yeah? I wasn't loving it, but I thought that it was the answer to all my desires and, and pleasure and everything else. But when we become a Christian, when we trust in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. But we have something with us which uh, the Bible calls the flesh or the sinful nature, if you're reading the NIV Bible, and, and that, sin, uh, that sin nature causes the Holy Spirit to be at conflict with us. <clears throat> Cole's not here today, is he? Cole says, sometimes it's like there's two men living in me, one who wants to go this way and one that wants to go that way. Does that sound like a non-Christian? No. A non-Christian says, there's only one man in me and he wants to go that way. It's the bad way, but I want to go that way. When you receive the Holy Spirit, suddenly there's this desire to do what is good. In fact, you love what is good. You love what you don't do. Is that your experience? So Paul would say this. 
I, I just want to start by saying this, though. Sin, I, I, when I say I have sin, I don't want to say that lightly or flippantly. Sin is painful in us as Christians, isn't it? Do we, how much do you hate your sin? It, it, at, at times, it drives you to despair. You just think, what am I doing? It's killing me. What's killing me? I'm killing me. I hate, <coughs> I hate what I do. We hate sin. And I want to just start by saying this. If you're someone who hates sin, you clearly have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who causes that hatred of sin in you. Okay? And if you're someone who thinks, uh, well, I don't have much sin, then you need to listen to 1 John. And when, one, when John says this, if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us and we're deceiving ourselves. And maybe you need to look... T- to Jesus and find out the truth about that matter. So, I want you to first do this. Take comfort in the fact that there is going that we are in a battle. And it's a big battle. If you're in the battle, it's a sign that you have the Holy Spirit. Right. That's my introduction and I'm and you're already going to sleep. Um I'm looking at it in, in about four different ways. First, the reality, the first section is the reality of the war between flesh and spirit. This comes from Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to read this fairly quickly. Romans 7 verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Is there anything wrong with the law of God? No. no. Nothing wrong with the law of God. It's beautiful. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except for through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said... Do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. What he's saying here is, when I heard the law of God, my rebellion kicked in and I went to do the exact opposite. The simplest form is, if, if we, as Jody did one night, cruelly to our youth group, she put a bowl of lollies on the table and says do not eat and then left the room <laughs> it's the law that kills us isn't it and if I say to you don't do this particular thing you immediately start why what am I missing out on here because that's partly what the devil was saying to the first couple did God really say this he's holding out on you you've got to eat that from that tree because if you eat from that tree your life's going to be even better yeah. Once you hear the commandment, the sinful nature, the nature within us says, do it, break the law. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. We are put to death when we disobey the law because we come under a condemnation which is right. We've sinned against the holy God. And we stand condemned. So then the law is holy and the commandment is righteous, holy and good. In other words, there's nothing wrong with the law. What's the problem? Us. Okay. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognised in sin, it produced death in me through what was good so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So through the commandment, we see that sin really is sinful. 
I'm sorry, I'm going through this quick, but you'll get, you'll get the hang of it, I'm hoping. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. Okay, he says, I want to do this, but I don't do it. I don't want to do that, and that's exactly what I do. We had a discussion, some of us this morning, sitting around out there, about addictions. Can a Christian have addictions? Right. I'll just read that again. Does this sound like addictions to you? For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I do, I hate. For what I hate, I do. It does, doesn't it? Sounds like sort of, now you might say, ah, maybe this is talking about Paul before he became a Christian. Except for one problem, well, there's a number of problems with that. Firstly, he says, I love the law, the law is good. What non Christian says that? What non Christian is confronted with their sin? And also, if you read um, Galatians 5, verse 17, Paul is clearly talking about um, uh, the converted man, and he says this, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature, so they are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. That's kind of the sum up of our lives, isn't it? As Christians, yeah? No? Hey, are you with us? Yeah, thanks, Ben. I'm enjoying your affirmations. That's good. Okay. So we have within us a war. And what I want to tell you again, which I'll tell you a number of times today, the fact that this war is here, the fact that you have this conflict is a sign that you have the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you sin freely, then you need to get to know Jesus. Okay. So he goes on. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Okay, what this is here, he's using a word, and, that, and it's a word that, if you were reading the ESV, is, is translated as flesh. So I need to give you a bit of background here as to why when the NIV says sinful nature, it's actually doing something better. Sorry, don't want to knock the ESV. But it's this. The word flesh in Greek has about three different ways of saying One is a very short way of saying sarks, which is just the flesh. It's a bit unspecific. Then it has a longer one, which is the sarkinos, which is flesh, means this flesh here, right? But then there's another version of the word, which is sarkikos. You don't have to remember this. Just understand the concept. Sarkikos is not talking about your flesh here, flesh and bones. It is talking about the things you do in it. It's talking about your moral behaviour. Okay, so when the NIV translates its sinful nature, it's trying to point out the fact that I'm not talking about your body. I'm talking about what you do in it. I'm talking about the nature of who you are, which aims towards sin. Does that make sense? So when it, so it's, it, flesh is the right word. It's just not the whole story behind it. Is that clear? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when he says, my flesh is at war with the spirit, he's not saying my body's at war with the spirit. He's saying that thing in me which 
seems to always be there, that other man, or however you want, that old man, sometimes people describe it, which keeps taking me back down this path, which I hate, right? That one is always with me. That is my flesh, my sinful nature. Okay, that one that seems like I'm a slave to sin, even though I know I'm not a slave to sin. For I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do, what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, I don't know if Paul seems like he's making a cop out there. Just imagine you just sinned and you said, well, that was me, that was sin living in me. And he said it twice up to now already, by the way. Not me, sin living in me. He's actually saying something very true. When you become a Christian, you are a new creation and sin is no longer a part of who you are. But this old nature which stands there stubbornly in the background keeps introducing ideas, but you can say, that is not who I am. And I think that when you sin and you hate your sin, that is in the back of your mind. I hate what I do, and you know what? I don't even think that that's me. Is that true? Is that what sin feels like? Yep. It's not me. It's sin living in me. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. I love God's law. But I see another law at work at the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. Because if you want to find out how to overcome sin, there's a Christian bookshop down in Brisbane And there's lots of books there which will tell you how to do it. Eight steps to overcome blah, blah, blah sin. Four steps to stop doing this. 18 steps to stop doing that. You should go down there, try all of them, then come back 10 years later and tell me that's a lot of rock. Because it is. Okay? What Paul is not going to do is not going to say, I'm going to tell you a way that you can strengthen yourself and become strong and leave sin behind. Because you can't do it. You are incapable of doing it because your sinful nature is in one sense stronger than you. But there is someone far stronger in you who is not your sinful nature and that is the Spirit of God. What he says is, What a wretched man I am. The cry that we cry in our sin. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the end of it. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Jesus Christ. And what else? No, no. Just Jesus Christ. Do you get this? Jesus plus nothing will save you from this body of death. Okay? All of your life, when you become a Christian, and the whole of your Christian life, you have one thing who will hold you in life. Jesus Christ and what he's done. And that's all you ever have. Yep. Mind you, he is altogether sufficient for what you need because he cried out on the cross, it is finished. He has done everything necessary to save you from this wretched body of death. Everything. And he is the only way. Can you change yourself? The answer is no. Can you be changed? 
Absolutely. You can be born again by the Spirit of God. You cannot change yourself. You need Him. We are always going to go down the same old paths without the Spirit of God. Right. Have I been clear there? Jesus Christ is the only way. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So he's got this war going on. And if you have the Spirit of God, you know that war. He said what the answer is. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, hang on. So he's just said, I've got all these problems. I'm struggling with sin. I'm doing this. I'm doing what I don't want to do. And I'm not doing what I do want to do. I'm stuck in that. And then all I've got is Jesus Christ. So now there's no condemnation. It's all good. That was a pretty quick turnaround, wasn't it? Well, that's the absolute truth. Once you have Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. Because, you see, condemnation happens like this. There is a law you cannot break. If you break it, you stand condemned, which means you face the death penalty. The wages of sin is death. Yeah? But as soon as you trust in Jesus, then you see, and and the Holy Spirit applies to you, the fact that Jesus died in your place. So yes, you are condemned to death. And yes, he died once and for all for you so that you can be set free from the condemnation of death. And you're no longer condemned because he was condemned. Making sense? The reason there is no condemnation is thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Or, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you're in him, by faith in him, there is no condemnation. You've been set free. Yeah, that's good. At least two of you are happy about that. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, thanks, Jane. That's true. We, we know how terrible you are, so we actually know that you need Jesus. That's good. Mm. Okay, then he goes on to talk about life in the spirit, life through the spirit. And, but I want you to see this. Firstly, I'll just sum up that last bit by saying, don't think that you can stamp down your flesh and stop sinning. There is one way to overcome sin. Look to Jesus Christ. And keep looking to Jesus Christ. Lift your eyes to Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. In a minute, we'll take communion. And then when we take communion, it's because Jesus said, keep taking communion because you've got to keep looking to me. Because that's where all your sins are done for. Not just now, but into the future. You need to keep looking to me. Okay. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit, with his new law, which means that everything has been done through Jesus Christ, has set me free from the old law where I sin and die. Now there's a new law at work in me. For what the law was powerless to do, you see, you might think, okay, let's just say we have this rule, um, which is don't, don't do this. Like maybe, maybe we say, uh, well, they're putting on too much weight. Don't eat this. Well, that law's not good enough. Maybe we need a stronger law. Don't do this and don't do this. Don't eat this, don't eat, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat it. Right? How's that going to go for you? Well, one day you're just going to beat and jump you. That's what happens. You see, the law and adding law to law is powerless to change us. You get that? More and more laws will not change you. 
Maybe they'll keep us safe. No, laws don't keep us safe. They are powerless to do because they are weakened by the sinful nature. Yep, we don't have the ability. We do the opposite to the laws that we make. God did, God achieved there, what was what he did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man. So in Jesus, Jesus was condemned with our sin. Yep. <clears throat> in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. When we live according to the spirit, Jesus has given to us his perfect righteousness. So we now live by the spirit. Do you understand that? The righteousness we have and the obedience to the law is a gift from him. It's not our own. That's why it's of the Spirit. We look to Jesus and the Holy Spirit brings us all that fullness as a gift, not because of what we've done. You want to put this in terms that sometimes people use. We are justified by grace alone. That's when we made Christians. We made right with God. We are sanctified by grace alone. It's all the work of God. Did you hear that? It's not, I've saved you, now get yourself better. I've saved you, now live a life by the Spirit, which means looking to Christ Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Can you hear that? Yep. Otherwise, what you're going to do is you're going to become a Christian and then you're going to create lots of nice laws to try and save yourself. And guess what? You're going to fall down the same heap and again and again and again. Look to Jesus Christ. And as you do, you might actually find that sin gets left behind. But sin gets left behind not by trying to stop sinning. Sin gets left behind as you look to Jesus Christ. When you start making those laws, it's that story I told 11 years ago when I started um, with some of these St. George and Dirambandi people. When I was young, we used to have this old Fordson tractor we used to drive around in, sitting on the mudguards. There was no danger at all. We got this Fordson tractor over a bank. We got all four wheels off the ground with four of us kids hanging on and stuff like that. There was no, no danger at all. But on this one particular day in South Australia, we have these things. Uh, you probably haven't heard them up here. They're called rocks. <laughs> right? And I was driving down through this little path uh, through a rocky hill. And for some reason, I saw a rock about that big. And it was this far off of the track. And I thought, gee, I better not hit that rock. And I looked at that rock. I would have been 13 or something. And I'm not going to hit that rock. And the more I looked at that rock, the more I turned until I hit it full on with this tractor and it jumped right up and lurched over the top. What an idiot. You don't overcome sin by making laws about how you're going to overcome sin. You overcome sin by looking at the path, the way, Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Looking at sin won't get there. Looking at sin will get you trapped in it more and more. Those, are living, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. I want to ask you this question, Christians. Is your mind and your desires set on what God desires? Yeah. That's good news, isn't it? That's why you know you're a Christian. Yep. If your mind is set purely on the things of this world, then you're not. That's what he just said. You don't have the things of the Spirit in mind. 
The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The, the sinful mind is hostile to God. Hostile, not just, that means that non-Christians aren't just well, ignorant people or even, what do they call them? Um, not atheists, what's that other word? Agnostic. Agnostic. It's just, oh, I just don't know. No, people who don't know God are hostile towards him. They're enemies of God. Yeah, it, it, just scratch the surface of an agnostic and the anger will pour out. <laughs> you find out they hate God after all. But um, don't do that for fun. It's not a, it's not a hobby. But um, the sinful mind is hostile to God, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And that's what you have when you know Jesus Christ and even in your sin, then you lift your eyes to him by faith and you have life and peace and everything you could ever want. What I'm saying is this. The Christian life is a battle... But it's a good battle. It's a joyful battle. Because you know the end of the story, don't you? Who wins in this story? Jesus does. And because Jesus does, we do. Because he will take us through and he will take us to completion. Um, I've probably talked for long enough, so I'm going to jump right forward to the end and just finish with this. And this should be my sum up for justification and sanctification and any other vocation that you can think of. And that is this. In Hebrews 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Okay. I know I've said this lots of times before, but you know what author means, don't you? The one who wrote it, the one who began it. The one who started with it. What is it? What is Jesus the author of? Our faith. Right. So why have you got faith? Because Jesus made it. Yeah, okay. So he authored it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. Aren't you the ones who perfect your own faith? <laughs> no. <laughs> you haven't heard me. Jesus is a perfecter of your faith. He authored it and he's perfected it. So what should we do to live the sanctified Christian life? Fix your eyes on him. And when should you take your eyes off him? Never. He's done everything for us. He is everything to us. And this gift he's given us is of eternal life through the Spirit of God, restored to who we should be. Dare I say it? Have you got any questions? I think we'll move straight into communion. And uh, I want to address really clearly different people here. Um, we, we, you know, they, we should have 